Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. And we will continue to show one of those each week. We've interviewed a lot of our folks that have been married for a number of years and and just... uh, fantastic life advice. So you'll see one of those before each one of our sermons uh, this summer. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to open the truth of your word. Lord, speak very clearly to us this morning. Uh, Just open up maybe the parts of our hearts and minds that need uh, the truth. Lord, help us to see areas in our lives that can be changed or shaped. Um, Lord, reworked based on your truth. Father, I pray we'd be open to your truth, even if it's difficult for us to hear. And I pray that as we think about marriage and dating and engagement and relationships, Father, we would look to your word as our truth, as our foundation. And Father, I pray through the power of the Spirit, as we do every Sunday morning, that your name would be honored and glorified and we would be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to the Song of Songs. Or the Song of Solomon, chapter 2. We are continuing our study this morning called Passionate Pursuit through this book. And I love this sermon series because I believe it speaks directly to issues that we struggle with and deal with on a regular basis. I've said this every week so far and I'm going to continue to say it until we finish this study. This book, the Song of Songs, is about love and romance, and sexuality, and passion, and intimacy, and all of these things are God's idea. He created them with you in mind, so you can have pleasure, and you can have joy, and you can have excitement. The problem is the world has kind of hijacked those things, and has lied to us, and we've become confused about these issues. And so as we study through this and read through this, I just want to to kind of speak truth into your life. It is absolutely possible for you to have a great marriage, experience joy and fulfillment and intimacy with your husband or with your wife, but it's not easy. Doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen by itself. You've got to work hard and be very intentional and be willing to give for your spouse, but it is possible. See, we've kind of bought into this view and this model in our world that having a good marriage is not really something that's attainable for us. But I just want you to know before we move any farther, and I hope you understand this every single week that we kind of think through and talk through the Word of God, I want you to understand that if we're going to study marriage and relationships and passion and intimacy, we need to study those things in the Word of God. And we need to listen to what God says, not what pop culture says. Do you understand that? Because there's a, a very vast difference. You know, it's, it's very interesting to me if you kind of kind of maybe set the emotion aside for a minute and take a step back and you look at our world, we for some reason have allowed actors and actresses and singers and songwriters to dictate to us what life ought to be like within a relationship. We've allowed them to kind of show us through movies and songs and acting 
what the world thinks is good for relationships and marriage and, and how sexuality ought to work and intimacy. And just, just track with me for just a second. It's fascinating that we've allowed this group of people, the vast majority of whom have wrecked their lives and their marriages over the years, we let those people speak truth into our life. You ever thought about that? Just think about the, the people that are kind of speaking into your life from pop culture. Do some research on their life and their marriages and see if they figured it out. Now, I'm not trying to disparage anybody or talk badly about him. I know people have struggles, but I just don't want that person speaking my life about my marriage. You know, if I wanted to learn to play golf well, I wouldn't go pick the guy who can't hit a golf ball to teach me. I'd go pick the pro who'd been doing it 30, 40 years and knew what he was talking about. We, we, we need good, solid advice when it comes to relationships and marriage. And the best good, solid advice we can get is from God's word. And so we're going to spend time this morning again delving into the song of songs and thinking about what marriage and relationships ought to look like. Now, I've really set a goal for every sermon that I preach in this series to be obviously theologically correct and taken from the word of God. But I've also kind of set this goal for it to be very practical. Because we need to be able to take the truths that we find in the word of God and apply those truths to our lives. And so one of the things we've done every week is I've given you some very practical guides based on what we've studied. And so I want to review for you very quickly last week some of the things that we looked at that were very practical that can help you in your marriage. And I just want to encourage you, if you want to hear the kind of the, the whole spiel, the whole uh, uh, speech or sermon about marriage from last week, it's available in podcasts. So I'm going to give you just the high points. You can go back and listen to it if you'd like on our website. One of the things we said last week from the text, one of the things we need to understand and we need to apply to our lives is that we ought to be praising our spouse on a regular basis. You should publicly and privately praise your spouse. You, you should not, I'm going to speak to men just for a second, because I know sometimes this is our tendency and we get caught up with the guys and want to be goofy and silly. Your wife really should never be the butt of your jokes. Did you know that? It may be easy to get a laugh with a couple of your buddies. You may think it's funny, but I promise you, your wife doesn't think it's nearly as funny as you do. Ladies, you don't need to talk bad about your husband in front of your friends. You don't need to talk about his inability to fix things. Or how when he tries to fix things, they're a lot worse than when he started. Or he doesn't know how to cut the grass. Or on and on the list goes right. We need to be praising our husband and our wife on a regular basis. Men, you can never tell your wife too many times that she's beautiful. Did you know that? There's, there's no maximum limit. We talked about that last week. It's not as if you get to Wednesday afternoon and you've done it a certain number of times. You're like, Shh, I'm done with that until next week, right? Check those off the list, right? You can't say it too much. Ladies, you can't tell your husband how much you adore him and respect him too much. Practically speaking, on a regular basis, we should be praising our spouse in public and in private. The other thing we said last week is that we need to very practically, we need to be providing for our spouse because there are needs that the man has, there are needs that the woman has. And so we kind of gave two big picture ideas. The woman's need in a marriage basically are to be loved, to feel safe, and to feel secure. And we cautioned the men last week because when we talk about safety and security, the first thing that comes to a man's mind is financial. I need to provide with a job and a house and a home and food. And, and all those things are very important. I'm not minimizing those. But that's not the whole story. 
Okay, women need us to be more than just financial. If you want your wife to feel loved and safe and secure, men, you need to give her your undivided attention on a regular basis. You need to speak kindly and tenderly to her. You need to show her strength through your character. See, she needs to feel loved and she needs to feel safe and she needs to feel secure, but it's more than just bringing home a paycheck. We said last week that men in the marriage need to feel respected. And we use three words to help understand that. Men thrive when they know their wives trust them, admire them, and believe in them. Those are kind of three very simple ways to understand it. Ladies, if you want your husband to feel respected, if you want him to be fulfilled in the marriage, you need to show him trust. You need to show that you admire him. You need to show that you believe in him. I'm going to use a quote I used last week because I think it just sums up this idea so well. A woman's belief in a man empowers him like nothing else. His need for her respect and admiration is foundational in his self-esteem and belief in himself. So we looked at the needs last week within the marriage, and then we ended with a warning. It's very interesting to me because I'm gonna, I want to tie the end of last week really into the beginning of this week. And so if you've got your Bibles and you're looking at Song of Songs chapter 2, I want you to notice verse 7. Stephen, I don't think we have 2-7 in the computer, but I want you to pull up what we have in the computer. Woo, that was fast. Nice job. Way to go, buddy. Chapter 2, verse 7. Now I want you to notice if you're looking at the screen, you won't see this, but if you're looking at your Bibles... You can just trust me on this one. Song of Songs chapter 2 verse 7 is the same exact verse as chapter 3 verse 5. So 2, 7 and 3, 5 are the same. So here's what 2, 7 says. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. That's the same verse in chapter 3 verse 5. So what these two verses do, they're the same. And again... We're looking at the Song of Songs as a poem. There's certain things that we need to notice, repetition. And because these two verses are used, they're kind of like bookends to this section we're about to study this morning. They kind of set this section apart. And so what we saw at the end of last week in chapter 2, verse 7, is that even though this couple is passionate about one another, even though they desire to be with one another, even though they're desperately in love and they dream about all this intimacy and all the things we've already seen, even though we see that from last week, they understand the danger of moving too fast. And so we ended last week by saying this couple and any couple that's engaged or dating, you need to wait for your spouse. There needs to be this idea of restraint. And so this idea of passion and restraint are going to be a theme that flows from the end of last week's sermon right into this week's sermon. The idea is going to carry over and we're going to build on it a little bit. So having said that, let's look at chapter 2 beginning in verse 8. Now the woman is speaking here speaking about her husband at this point she's been dreaming she's been thinking there's been some fantasies she's been rolling around in her head now it's beginning to become a little more practical because the marriage date is looming ahead they're going to get married and so things are beginning to change a little bit look at verse 8 the woman speaking listen my beloved look here he comes leaping across the mountains bounding over the hills my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag look there he stands behind the wall gazing through the windows peering through the lattice my beloved spoke and said to me now pause for a second this is important 
The woman has been speaking in verses 7, 8, 9. She's speaking now in verse 10. She's going to continue to speak in the verses that follow, but now she's going to be quoting the man. So she's saying, my beloved spoke to me and said to me. So the woman is speaking, but she's quoting the man midway through verse 10. Here's what he's saying. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me, right? He's asking her to marry him, right? We we see this idea. We're going to build on this, and we'll see it in the next few weeks. See, the winter is past. The rains are over and gone. Flowers appear on the earth. The season of singing has come. The cooing of doves is heard in our land. The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise and come, my darling, my beautiful one. Come with me. Now, she's still talking, and she says now in verse 14, My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Now, let's stop there for just a minute, and let me just kind of explain to you where we're going. We spent a lot of time last week talking specifically to couples that were married because there were a lot of practical applications in the text from last week. This week, we're certainly talking to people that are married, but there's a lot of application, especially in these first few verses, for couples that are engaged, for couples that are dating, for high schoolers, teenagers, maybe even middle schoolers that are thinking about dating. And then check this out, moms and dads. This ought to be for moms and dads with young children that are beginning to kind of consider the idea of dating in the very near future. All right, moms and dads, if you've got middle school kids and you haven't kind of thought through what dating ought to look like for them, you better start thinking now. You want to be proactive, not reactive. Do you understand that? You need to kind of have a plan in place. Now, I'm not saying you've got to list it all out and have it on paper and outlines and charts on the wall. I don't know anything like that. But you need to kind of think through what's it going to look like for your family. How are you going to guide? How are you going to lead? What are you going to allow to happen? What are your boundaries? What are your rules? You ought to be thinking about that. So I think this morning's sermon especially will speak to those people that are not yet married, understanding what Scripture says. So I'm going to give you the truth, number one, based on these few verses. Then we're going to walk through and explain it. We see this couple madly in love. We see their desire for one another. And yet we see, this is truth number one, desire with restraint. Okay, if you're, if you're dating or engaged or thinking about marriage, you kind of ought to understand, this is a foundational principle, there's desire with restraint. Now let me talk through that just for a few minutes, okay? We understand that passion and intimacy and desire are very natural things. I've said this already during this series. These are not things we need to shy away from. We don't need to be scared of them. We don't need to sweep them under the rug. We don't need to fail to talk to our kids about them. Being attracted, a boy being attracted to a girl and a girl being attracted to a boy is very normal. That's the way God made it. That was his intent for us. The problem isn't the passion or the desire for intimacy. Those things are very normal. Those things have been happening for thousands of years. What we need to understand is within that idea of desire and intimacy, there has to be restraint. Because if there's not, you're going to have a mess on your hands. Now I want you to notice how this woman refers to this man, right? She's been dreaming of him. She's been thinking about him. She's been wanting to be with him. And all of a sudden she sees him. He's kind of coming this way now, right? The time is nearing for their wedding. And listen to how she describes him in verses 8 and 9. He's leaping across the mountains. 
He's running. He's bounding, right? He's coming with excitement. Guys, you remember the very first time you went to pick up your wife on the first date? Do you remember that? You may not remember. Do you remember when you used to date your wife before you were married? I bet when you got out of your car and you went to her door, you were excited, weren't you, man? Woo, let's go. It's time to, you know, let's go. I can't wait to see you bound and leapt out of the car and ran to the door. And you were excited, right? This is how the woman sees this man. He wants to be with her. She wants to be with him. There's this desire. And then he shows up and he's gazing at her, verses 9 and 10. He's looking at her, right? He's staring at her through the wall. He wants to see her more. He's looking at the lattice through her. He's coming to see her. And then he makes this kind of invitation, this proposal to her in verse 13. Right? He's standing there and he speaks to her. Rise, my beautiful one, and come with me. I want you to leave with me. Right? The, the winter is past. Again, this is poetic. It's kind of like a metaphor. Spring is here. Flowers are in bloom. The time of love has arrived. Let's go get married. Come with me. Let's get married. And so there's this desire. There's this passion. There's this, this intimacy. The, the dreaming of what's yet to come. The excitement level is kind of picking up. And then verse 14 is awfully important. We can't miss it. Look at what it says. My dove, he's speaking of the woman, in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Even though they desire to be together, they remain separated. Do you understand that? There are very clear boundaries in this relationship. See, when you look at verses 9 and following, he's behind a wall. He's not physically touching her. He's looking through the lattice in order to be able to see her. He describes her as hiding in the clefts of the rock in a safe place, in a hiding place. Show me your face because I can't see you like I want to see you. Speak to me so I can hear you like I want to hear your voice. It's sweet and your face is lovely, right? There's great passion and yet there is great restraint. See, we we need to begin to understand in our engagements, in our dating relationships, we experience passion absolutely and desire, but we have to add restraint. And so the question you ought to be asking yourself, engaged couple or high school couple, teenagers, parents with kids that are kind of getting to this point, here's the question you ought to begin to ask yourself. As you date, how are you guarding yourself? What are you doing to guard yourself in this relationship? So I want to give you two very practical, very clear things you ought to be doing. The first thing you ought to be doing in order to guard yourself, number one, is to set up very clear boundaries. Okay, if you think in the middle of a passionate relationship that you cannot set up boundaries and just put yourself in all sorts of situations without ending up in a place you don't want to be, you're mistaken. It's just where it's going to lead. It's just kind of human nature. It's natural. And so if we're not very intentional and very aware and very guarded and don't put up very clear boundaries, we're going to have issues. So I'm going to give you just a couple very simple boundaries. Here's the first boundary if you're not married. Don't spend great amounts of time alone. You're saying, why not? That's what everybody's doing. I don't care what everybody else is doing. They're not going to answer for your life like you are. They're not going to worry about the baggage you're going to have years from now. They're not the ones that are going to have to live your life. You are. You need to make decisions that's best for you. And if you're going to make decisions best for you, you ought to do it based on the truth of the word of God. 
Even when pop culture says one thing, even when your friends say something else, if, if it's not in line with what God teaches, you ought to change your actions. I mean, part of being a follower of Christ is spending time in prayer, spending time in the Word, and when God confronts you with something in your life that you weren't aware of before, maybe reminds you of a sin that's in your life, part of being a believer is repenting from that sin and turning from that sin and doing something different. If, if God demonstrates to you and shows you how, how you ought to be living your life and you're opposite of that, that's not the path you want to be walking. We, we need to be very clear as we guard ourselves in our relationships to set up very clear boundaries. Here's, here's another very clear boundaries. Set physical boundaries and then stick to them. So a, a dating couple, an engaged couple. And by the way, let me just say this. This, this ought to be maybe kind of a... a a line in the sand. If you're not mature enough to have a conversation with the person you're dating about physical issues, then you're not mature enough to date them. You just shouldn't. If you're scared to talk about it because you're embarrassed, don't date them. You're not ready, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But you're rushing into things. Right? You ought to be able to have this conversation with these. Listen, I'm attracted to you. I know you're attracted to me. I like where this relationship is going. I want it to grow I mean, maybe one of these days it'll become something more, but there needs to be some real clear boundaries because if they're not, this is going to become something too quick, we can't control, and then who knows where it's going to go. So you need to set these physical boundaries with one another. And I'll just encourage you, the time to set the physical boundaries are not in the midst of being alone together in a dark place. That's not when you're going to make the good decisions. If you wait until that moment, you're probably going to mess up. So the time to have the conversation is when you're kind of in your right mind. <laughs> Maybe you're around other people in a restaurant and you're thinking clearly with your brain. Right? That's the time to have the conversation. Listen, I, I really am attracted to you. I think you're beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm looking forward to maybe one day, but I just have to, I just want to set these boundaries right here. I know people and you're going to laugh at me and you can think I'm ridiculous if you want to. I have known people, and I'm not, I'm not advocating this, I'm just giving you information. I have known people that didn't kiss each other until they were married. <gasps> what? How is that even possible? Well, you have to ask them, I don't know, but I know they've got great marriages now. It's not impossible. It's not impossible to live like this. You need to set very clear boundaries. Now, let me just speak very quickly. I don't, I don't want to spend a long time here. Let me just speak very quickly to the person that maybe has not done this and maybe has made some decisions that they're maybe regretting or wish they hadn't made. Here, here's what you need to understand. You're not going to ever change the past. You're never going to change the past. Don't beat yourself up over things you've done years ago or last week or whenever it was. Allow the Lord to work in your life Seek forgiveness, which he will offer to you. There's always forgiveness at the cross. None, nothing you've done is unforgivable. And then repent and turn from your ways. Just live a life differently from this point forward. That's who you can be. So we need to set up very clear boundaries, number one. And then if we're going to guard ourselves within these relationships as you're dating or engaged or whatever, here's number two. You need to make decisions based on honoring Christ. So in the dating relationship, you begin to ask yourself this question. Is what we're about to do going to honor Christ? By the way, that fits in every realm of our life. You know that, right? Every part of our life. But it certainly works when we're dating. Are your decisions governed by things that honor Christ? I want to read something to you. And you can get mad at me if you want to, but I'm just reading it. 
Speaking of the ladies first and then the men. Now, we, ladies, we know that men are driven visually. We get that. We understand that. And so speaking to the ladies, is your attitude towards your clothing and your appearance controlled by your desire to please Christ? That's a great question. If not, if your desire or decision about your clothing is based on desire to be sexy or to garner attention, you're probably not controlled by your love for Christ. Now, men, I'm not going to leave you out. You're next. You ready? As you think about what goes through your mind and what you wish you could do, is your attitude toward the woman you desire controlled by your desire to please Christ? Are you making decisions that honor him? If you make decisions about how to proceed in your relationship based on physical desire or pressure from peers, you are probably not controlled by your love for Christ. I just think it's clear in Scripture. I think God has given us a model. I think God has given us a plan. I think God has created us with passion and desire for one another. That's very normal. But I think God says if you're not careful, if you don't have restraint and set up some boundaries, you're going to struggle. Here's something, ladies, you need to understand. Here's kind of the, the little secret. The more you guard yourself, ladies, the more attractive you become. Here's what one scholar says. Speaking of the woman in the Song of Songs, her inaccessibility heightens his desires. Ladies, I want to say something to you, and I hope you take this to heart and understand this all the love in my heart as I say this. Once you've given yourself away, there's nothing else to give. Guard that. Guard that. God has given that to you as a precious gift. It's a precious gift you get to give away one day to your husband. You need to guard that. You need to have that desire and you need to have that passion, but you need to have it with restraint. God's got a plan. We need to follow that plan. Now, verse 15. This is an interesting verse. I'm going to read this one verse and then think through it a little bit with you. Verse 15 says this. The man is still speaking to the woman, right? There's passion, there's desire, but there's restraint. There are boundaries. They're not physically together yet. And so he makes this very interesting comment to her. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Now, this is an interesting verse because there's a lot of debate over what it means. Remember, we're looking at poetry here, right? So we're not thinking to ourselves literal foxes. We're not trying to think about the foxes and the actual vineyard and the blooms. We're thinking big picture here. And so I'm going to give you the truth and then explain to you what it means. Here's truth number two. We should, and I'm speaking now more to married couples, but other couples as well. We should be aware of issues that may harm our relationships. We need to be aware of issues that may harm our relationships. Here's what we know about foxes in ancient Israel, okay? You say, why are we talking about ancient Israel? Because this is when this was written. A thousand years or so before the birth of Christ. This is ancient Israel. What did a fox in a vineyard mean? Well, a fox in a vineyard back then was an animal that would run in and eat all the grapes and eat all the plants and pretty much kill the harvest. Now, we know through our study that the idea of a garden and a vineyard and growing and, and fruit and life and nature is a picture of this couple's relationship. We've, kind of, we've already seen that several times before. And so what this man is saying here, kind of the big picture is, listen, there are things, little foxes, there are things that could come into our vineyard, into our relationship, and destroy our relationship if we're not careful. Now, we've got a garden at our house. This is the second year we've done a garden. And I used to 
say to people, I don't grow things well. And I used to not be able to grow anything. What I didn't understand is I couldn't grow anything because I didn't know how to do it properly. I thought you could just dig a hole in the ground, plop some seed in there, and cover it back up. And in a few months, you got squash. I thought it was that easy. Well, what I'm beginning to understand is it's a lot of work. In fact, there's a lot of stuff that goes into this garden before you even plant anything. You've got to till up the ground, sometimes months in advance. You've got to add the right nutrients. I did a compost pile last year. It was Never done anything like that before, but at the end of the season, it was all mixed up in good dirt, and I poured that on the garden and mixed in. You pour some lime in. All this stuff happens before you plant. Then you till it all up again, and then you plant the seeds in a certain place. You space them out. You put the rows. You cover them back up. You begin to water them. You make sure they get enough sunlight. All this before anything even comes out of the ground. I'll never forget last year, we planted our garden. We were so proud. We tilled it all up and had our, our rows nice and neat and watered it in the sun and all that stuff. And, and all of a sudden, we got some blooms. And we were amazed. I mean, all of a sudden, there's these little green things popping up and little leaves growing, and we admired our garden. And we went out one day to check our garden, and something had gotten in and eaten everything. I had a bunch of little green stems sticking out of the ground. That's all I had, nothing else. And so what did we do? We put up a fence to keep things out because we know that once that garden begins to grow and produce fruit, there are things that want to destroy it and eat it. Like, I didn't have any idea there was even a tomato worm. Did you know there's something called a tomato worm? You guys at Garden for years are laughing at me. I didn't know there was a tomato worm. And I certainly didn't know the tomato worm looked about like the tomato branch. And so you can't hardly see them. They hide. They're hard to see. There are things that will get in that garden, worms and, and animals and deer and all these things will get in and destroy all the hard work you've tried to create. Now, the analogy here in the scripture and relationships is this. There are things that will get into our relationships, little foxes that may seem insignificant, but if we don't stop them, if we don't weed them out, if we don't get rid of them, they're going to destroy our relationship. And so I want to give you this morning five very practical areas, five things based on research and studies people have done, and what counselors say, and what divorce, divorce lawyers say. I want you to hear kind of the five top issues that people struggle with. Now, you need to understand every couple is different. You've probably got some issues you're dealing with that other people don't. That's okay. But here are five big ones you need to understand and address in your marriage. Here's problem number one, money issues. Did you know that problems with money are still, that's still the number one issue in divorces in America? Did you know that? What's very interesting to me that I didn't know until I did this research this week, it's not really about how much money you have. That's not the main problem. The problem is how do you spend the money that you have? And what you find in a lot of couples is sometimes there's a spender and then there's a saver. And if you guys don't meet in the middle somewhere and come up with a budget and a plan to work that money, that money will work you, right? And the problem is that we disagree over how to save it or how to spend it, and it leads us to a point of argument and eventually to divorce. We need to understand, we need to get our minds around this issue. We need to think through how we need to spend this money, how the Lord wants us to spend this money. We need to get on the same page. That's a fox. That's a problem that can get in your marriage and destroy. Here's problem number two, communication. Communication is a very big problem within marriages. It's amazing to me when I talk to people, I've said this before, how many people that struggle in marriage also struggle with communication? Regular, open, honest communication should be something you do on a very regular basis. There should be a time when you sit down with your spouse and just talk. 
There should be time when you sit down and think through things together, pray together, spend opportunities making decisions about where you're going to go and what you're going to do. Communication. If you don't communicate, this is one of those things that it's kind of like one of these rivers that runs under the ground that you can't see. You know, you don't communicate and that rocks on for six months and then a year and then two years and then five years and all of a sudden your marriage falls apart and you don't know why. It's because this idea of lack of communication has been eroding your marriage over the years. You didn't even notice it. We need to set aside regular times to communicate. Number three, family issues. Family issues. Somebody told me before I was married, you know, before you're married, guys, you probably know this, before you're married, you may think you're the expert on marriage until you get married. Kind of like you think you're the best parent in the world that you have kids, right? Everything's good until you actually have your own children. Well, somebody told me before I was married, listen, Adam, you need to understand, when you marry her, you're also marrying her family. And I thought, no, I'm not. I'm marrying her. I'm not married. Well, guess what? I married her family too, didn't I? And I don't mean that in a bad way. It just is what it is. She married my family. And so the issues that, that my family kind of has are now part of the marriage. The issues that her family kind of had are now part of the marriage. We have to deal with those things together now. The way we make decisions about where we're going to go on Christmas and Thanksgiving. What the holidays look like, right? How we're going to deal with mom or dad or when this happens. All those things are part of a marriage. If we don't deal with those properly, if we're not aware of them, they can cause problems. How about, how about stuff like this when we think about family? How about children? Now, when you're engaged or dating, you probably don't think a whole lot about children. But decisions you make about how to raise your children can cause an awful lot of strife in your marriage. You want to have, have a tough marriage? then marry somebody who has a different view of how to raise children than you do. That means nothing to you when you're dating. It means nothing to you when you're engaged. It doesn't mean anything to you for the first several years of marriage. When that first child is born and you've got vastly different views of how to raise a child, it's going to cause problems. Like, for example, one parent wants to spank, the other one doesn't. That's a big deal. One parent wants to send to private school, the other wants to send to public school. One parent wants kid involved in dance or baseball. The other kid doesn't want kid involved in anything. Right? These are issues we need to understand and resolve. When I do premarital counseling, we spend a lot of time thinking through these issues. And it's always funny to me because most couples, they don't really think about this kind of stuff or they haven't really had the conversation about it. But these are issues that you need to deal with in your life. You need to be aware of. Don't let these things cause problems. Number four, Intimacy. Now, I've talked already about some of this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it now. But I would just encourage you to be aware of this idea, to foster this in your home, to be intentional with this idea of intimacy, because it's awfully important to our marriages. And then number five, and I think this is maybe one that kind of goes across the spectrum, the busyness of life. Did you know the word busyness wasn't a word a decade ago? Did you know that? It was a misspelling if you looked it up. Now it's part of the dictionary. Why? Because we're so busy, we needed a word to kind of describe it, right? The busyness of life. If you're not careful, your schedule becomes so hectic that communication goes away, doesn't it? You don't have time to talk. Intimacy goes away. You don't have time to worry about money problems because you don't have time to think about money problems. Like busyness of life, if you don't kind of get a hold of your schedule, if you don't kind of watch out for all those things that are going on in your life that can draw your attention away, those things become the foxes in our lives that can destroy our marriage. This man says to this woman, listen, if we're not going to be married now, let's at least be careful, let's be aware, let's be mindful of the issues that kind of sneak in 
unobserved, they're little, we don't notice them, that can become big things and destroy our marriage. Now, let's finish up. Verse 16. She's speaking again now to the man. My beloved is mine and I am his. He browses among the lilies. So even though he's out there and there's other women, he's mine and I'm his. We're committed to each other. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the rugged hills. Here's what she's saying in verse 17, right? The time is not here yet. It's not time for us to be married. We've still got these boundaries up. And until the day breaks and the shadows flee, you need to turn and go. We're not going to be together like this until the time is right. Now, verse 1 of chapter 3. Now, she's kind of back into this dreamy state. All night long on my bed, right? There's this sense of a dream, a daydream, a fantasy. I looked for the one who my heart loves. I looked for him but did not find him. I will get up now, go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him but did not find him find him, right? She's scared. She fears that she's going to lose him. She's dreaming about looking for him and finding him. Verse three, the watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me, right? So she's just kind of amping up this passion. There's fear. She searches. She finds him. She's fantasizing, dreaming about bringing him home into this room. And then verse 5, it kind of caps it off, right? It's almost as if she's kind of worked herself up into this frenzy, this level of excitement that she needs to kind of quell. In verse 5, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. She's looking ahead with anticipation to this marriage. And here's truth number three. She finds hope and the celebration of marriage. Hope and celebration of marriage. She understands that the passion and the intimacy she has for this man can only be fulfilled in her marriage to him. See, God has designed for us. You need to understand this. God has designed for us the idea of passion. He wants us to experience passion and romance and intimacy. And he wants us to experience that within the marriage. That's the way God designed it. Now, here's what some people say. You know, why why should we get married? Why can't we just live together? It's cheaper. It's easier. Everybody's doing it. It's It's the fad now. And by the way, this is an issue that is rampant in our society if you don't know this. I have pretty regular conversations about this issue, and it's a very real struggle for a lot of people. So I want to address it very quickly before I finish up this morning, because it's a question a lot of people ask. Why shouldn't we just move in together? There are two very simple reasons. Number one, the Bible is clear. Those sorts of things, the physical intimacy and the commitment and the relationship that you have ought to be reserved for marriage. It's a real clear biblical precedent. Over and over again, we read about the importance of marriage and the importance of commitment and the importance of intimacy all within the marriage. So the first reason you shouldn't move in is because the Bible commands you not to. Secondly, there are all sorts of studies that show that when people live together before they're married, they oftentimes struggle after they get married. Here's what one study said. People that live together experience significantly more difficulty in marriages with adultery, alcohol, drugs, and independence issues than couples who had not lived together. 
The University of Virginia just did a very interesting study, and I read the study. You can go look it up online if you want to. But they said that people that are in a marriage enjoy better physical and mental health than people who just live together. Here's the quote from the study. The findings revealed that parts of the brain are less reactive to stress when someone is with a person that they're married to. Isn't that interesting? Now, these are just a few stats, and I'm not going to spend time going through all these different stats and all these different studies, but here's the clear picture. The Bible has kind of given us the model. The Bible has given us the clear picture. There are all sorts of studies and research that indicate that this actually is the best model. This is how we ought to live our lives. And so as we come to a thing in Scripture that's maybe something we haven't ever seen before or never understood, we ought to mold and shape our lives based on the truth of God's Word. Not the truth of society, not the truth of what we necessarily want ourselves. Now this woman concludes, and we wind down and kind of finish up with this idea. Verse 5, again, daughters of Jerusalem. This is the same as chapter 2, verse 8. These are the bookends. I charge you by the gazelles and the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Right? God's got a plan. God's got a model. We need to follow that model. See, God wants you to have a beautiful marriage. God wants you to experience fulfillment and joy and passion and intimacy. He wants your marriage to be great. And when you trust him, when you follow his model, your marriage is going to be fantastic. And here's maybe the coolest part. When you've got a beautiful marriage following the truth of God's word like the lovers have, when you've got that sort of a marriage, other people notice Other people want what you have. And then the mystery that Paul describes in Ephesians 5, maybe the greatest facet of marriage that we sometimes miss, when we have a beautiful, God-centered marriage, the Lord in that marriage receives glory. And so the way that we live our lives with our spouse points directly to Christ. That's the sort of marriage we ought to be looking for. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, we thank you for all you've shown us in the clear picture of marriage in the Song of Songs, for the passion and intimacy, Father, for restraint, for your plan. I pray that you just speak very clearly to us through this word. I pray, Lord, that there's something that we've seen this morning that's different than what we believe or how we live. I pray you change our hearts. I pray you change our lives. Trusting that you do have a better plan. Trusting that you do know the answers. And Father, we're going to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for everything you do in the, in the hearts of our lives. Couples, Father, people that are married, people that are engaged. We'll just do a miraculous work so you can receive honor and glory in all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity to respond. The altar is open, of course. You can pray where you are. But this is your time to respond as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.